Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It's March 14th, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 549. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Patrick Klepek. That's too many episodes. It's quite a few. And Renata Price. I am now the proud owner of a Google Pixel 7 Pro after oh, the, 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 the longest week of my life. Yeah. Yeah, Rob, it is the big one. Yeah. How are you liking that form factor? Bad. Not great. The, Were you kind of backed into it by availability? Oh, I was not backed into it by availability. I walked into... Okay. At the beginning of last week, I left my phone in a lift. And that was stupid of me. That was dumb. Uh, and then I spent the entire week, one, trying to get it back, uh, and two, trying to purchase a new phone. Uh, that saga concluded over the weekend when I received an email at Friday uh, at uh, 12.05, no, sorry, 1.05 p.m. that my phone, a Galaxy, uh, Samsung Z Flip 4, was ready for pickup. My girlfriend could not uh, go with me to pick it up uh, on Friday, and so we decided to go on Saturday. I open my laptop at 12.05 p.m. on Saturday. I see an email from Verizon saying that my order has been canceled and they have sent it back to the to the warehouse. I panic. We go in the next day. They have two phones in the entire store with, with that they can sell me a Galaxy S22 from like mm-hmm. two years ago or a Google Pixel Pro 7. And I had a meeting in Manhattan this morning that I needed to go to. And so I took the phone that I did not want. And can't, so now I have a Pixel you, Pro okay, 7. Like, you could yeah. like decide in the next week you don't like this phone, right? Oh, I got insurance and like no, but I just mean not insurance, but I mean there are return policies on phones once you have opened them. I don't. I think you are not you are not committed to this for years. If you wanted to say, hey, this phone is too big, uh, there there are return policies. If you wanted to ho- hope for availability of a different phone, because it is. Let me be clear, a fucking gigantic phone. It's enormous. It's um, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and a watch out with the, um, this is true of a lot of phones, this is why people have the little nubbins to like sort of hold it between your fingers rather than resting against your pinky, but resting it against your pinky to like brace it is especially bad with the Pixel Pro. Um, Like, I was also stuck with like limited availability, ended up getting the the ginormous phone, and Yours because of the, 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 like the... Like the data, like it wasn't like you could only pick from a certain set of phones that would work with the plan that you had signed up for. Isn't that yeah, what ended it was, up happening? It was a pretty. It was a like it wasn't that restrictive, right? It was like mm-hmm. Samsungs and Pixel and uh, right. Apple and uh, Google phones. But yeah, like the the big the big wrinkle was that 
nothing everything was in shortage and so you know mm. i found one place that had a phone uh like the the week i needed it and it was you know it was like the third place i tried and they were like we got a we got a pixel 6 pro and that's it and i was like then i guess i'm getting the pro look um, at this big ass outset for the camera yeah it's, it's they insane all, they all have those now though but um I will say this one's at least cleverly designed because it's so the Google Pixel Pro 7 has this like big cutout for the for the camera that like juts out of the phone like you know significantly but the cool thing is that if you put the phone down it means that you're actually keeping the lens safe because it's at a very slight angle which keeps the lens from getting like scratched up from putting it on a table or something and I just think that's clever I just want to, I just want to acknowledge anything. Just make the clever. phones thicker, man. Like this, like, a, like Apple led obsession with like thinness. So then you have to like the lenses run into just, you can only do so much. Like it's a, like a space problem. You want better pictures. You need more space, but we made these phones so goddamn thin. It's like, just add it half an inch. Who cares? Like <laughs> recess it, please put it back in the phone. No, Patrick, how else will they have the battery as close to your hand as possible so when the phone does anything, your hand starts to heat the fuck up unless you have a case? God, what a stupid way to design the world. Gotta have a uh, case. Wait, are you a non-case person? No, I am a case person, but okay. I got it yesterday. I want like a sure, nice yeah. case. Yeah, um, no, I'm, I hear you. One time my, my, my wife dropped her phone uh, enough times that uh, we didn't really have money to get a new phone, so we were like really resistant to it, but... She dropped it, and then she uh, it, like the screen shattered, and the phone still worked. But then she took a call and brought the phone away from her face, and she had cut her face. I was like, "Honey, I know we don't really have the money for a phone right now. We're getting but a phone. We have to go get a phone. <laughs> you cut your face with the glass. I don't care if it still works." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have also maybe they've improved this, but I have found that that is one of the most scratchable uh, like screens in all the phones I've owned. Yeah. Uh, like this thing um, would be was picking up like wild scratches from zippered pockets. Uh, so like real, real annoying piece of kit there. And, and let me just know one last thing. This is unrelated to actual like the, the process of experiencing the phone and everything. But I but was at the store and the uh, person who was selling me the phone called me and my girlfriend friends in the most pointed way possible. She's like, oh, yeah, this is my friend and like pulled her coworker over who is an obvious gay man. And I just want to note that I'm wearing the shirt that I was wearing then. I have a shirt that just says Dyke on it. <laughs> Kid was wearing that at the Verizon store and and still the pointed. Oh, you two seem like such good friends. Thank you. Thank you. We do. We, we are garbage ass. Well, uh, hopefully, Patrick, you had a more successful and enjoyable uh, journey with Resident Evil 4. Uh, so I saw a bunch of people like finally got access to that. Uh, now I have like, my understanding was always that resident evil four occupies like a beloved space, uh, among mm-hmm. resident evils, but also among like horror action games. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very specific moment in time. Like we, you cannot talk about the character action game without discussing resident evil four. It, it sits at this really important pivot point in sort of the. Yes, of course, in the in the in the Resident Evil franchise, in which it's it's finally the series saying, "Ah, shit, let's just become an action game uh, and and not be uh, this less survival like uh, um, and less horror, but you know, still kind of keeping 
that title because I mean that's just what you, that's just what you do. Um, and so I have I've played more than it is out there. I can't talk about that part until Thursday. But Capcom released a demo, uh, which is something that has become kind of a tradition with. Uh, the Resident Evil games, uh, going back to Resident Evil 7, uh, in which, so they released a little portion for for people to play um, ahead of the, the game coming out, uh, usually to sh- as a measure of extreme confidence in, in the game that they have built, because the Resident Evil games they've been doing for the last five plus years have all been pretty much like excellent, like just kind of like the real bangers across the board uh, for, for the last couple of Resident Evils. Although the Resident Evil 3 remake was not very good, but neither was Resident Evil 3, so, you know, what are we going to do there? Um... And so, yeah, what is out is the village sequence from Resident Evil 4, um, a which is, you know, a, a top 10 video game introduction sequence. It is a moment where uh, Resident Evil kind of flips the script on itself mechanically and aesthetically. Uh, it's a game that is largely in the dark, that is about sort of hiding, you know, creepy monsters in the ceilings around corners. Like, this is a, um, a game in which zombies like slowly shamble towards you and then occasionally there are enemies that act a little faster but really it's about creatures of varying horror kind of shambling (laughs) towards you uh and what happens in resident evil 4 is that you come across uh, you know leon kennedy one of the 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 two playable characters from resident evil 2 has like been enlisted with a government special agency that is kind of going around doing various things and he is tasked with uh tracking down the president's daughter uh in in this one he is tracked to some remote village uh i believe in spain and when you get here it's a it's a village that is is largely abandoned, uh, and it's like, oh, I know how this goes. Like, it's time to explore, um, and, and crucially, it's in in the daytime. Um, and what happens uh, pretty quickly, both in the original and in this updated uh, take on Resident Evil Four, is uh, the villagers are here. Uh, they're ready to party. They got pitchforks. Um, someone's wearing a bag on their head, and they got a chainsaw. Like, they're just they're just ready to throw down. Um, and it is this crystallizing moment where the game is saying to you clearly uh, how you have played these games in the past no longer really applies. Um, It is a moment in which the game overwhelms you with enemies. It is not actually a a sequence to be won as much as it is a sequence to be survived. And so when you get into it, you'll have, you know, like you don't, you're, it's the start of the game. You don't got many bullets and what you, you are like busting through windows, crawling across uh, the tops of these houses. And it is just this like sense of like you're turning around, maybe putting down one of these uh, sort of crazed villagers and just wonder, I, like, how am I supposed to succeed in this section? And, you know, the, the great like, you know, one of many brilliant things that happens in this section is that there it just like a, all of a sudden a, a village like uh bell goes off and they just leave like they they shamble away uh to go uh do something else and you as the player are left to just look around going what the fuck did i just play and what's interesting about this remake is i think it is it's attempting to do as we've had conversations about you know a number of times in the like last year or so um most notably with metroid prime uh and and uh, with dead space is you know what is the, the what is the goal of this update? What is it worth revisiting other than just a chance to sell you this game again? And I think this team, which is the same team that worked on the brilliant Resident Evil Two uh, remake, which I think is not just like repackaging that game. I think it makes it better and a more interesting game. Uh, in addition to looking gorgeous, uh, 
This one, I haven't gone back and replay. I, I replayed the intro of Resident Evil 4 when uh, a, a big update came out for the, the Oculus um, in, in which uh, you could play uh, that game in VR. Um, but it's mostly just RE4 with a new interface. Um, and I think what they really accomplish pretty brilliant here is, I mean, there are like what feels like 50 enemies in this. I'm not counting. I'm just running. I'm just running. And and I, it, there was this moment where I've played this before. I've probably played this intro a dozen times. And they managed to draw attention out of it again. They managed to feel overwhelming um, all over again, despite it being the exact same kind of setup with a, you know, a shiny new coat of paint. Um, and if they're able to apply that level of managing to wring out the same sort of feelings you got from that original game, well, it makes me very excited to see what they might do with the rest of it. Is, like, was it predominantly the sheer number of enemies they're throwing at you because like obviously uh you know as hardware's improved you can have more enemies on the screen you can have more happening on on the screen uh because because the thing is like resident evil 4 at least from where i hear discussion of it maybe it's a game that did not have as much obvious room for improvement as resident evil 2 i never felt like resident evil 2 was beloved uh you know really Oh, yeah. not what? true. Not true. Rob, eh. what? No, <laughs> even I know this. <laughs> Resident I'm Evil just 3, a I think, little guy. Uh, I mean, they're different games, right? Like, uh, you know, Resident Evil 2 begins the series ascent into an action series. Um, but, uh, you know, if you, if you, maybe some of what you're hearing there, Rob, is a. Uh, there was always a tension in the Resident Evil fandom, of which I was very much a part, was like, oh, this is cool, but, like, it's not. Like I liked my res- my slow, like creeping sense of dread. Resident Evil One and Resident Evil Two, you know, follows the you know alien to aliens, Terminator, Terminator Two route of like, well, there's only so much we can do to scare you with zombies again. So what if we're shooting more of them? Um, and it kind of leans into that. Um, although Resident Evil Two has the Mr. X kind of you know the kind of actual like Terminator style character that is that is uh, tormenting you uh, in that. But sorry, you could continue your point. No, I just mean like Resident Evil Two, like with that remake is a pretty thoroughgoing overhaul yeah. of of the game but i did not get the, like and that just seemed that seemed very welcome in the case of that game whereas resident evil 4 i feel like it tips more toward reverence where it's like put this baby under glass like no notes uh it's a really so good, it's uh, yeah it's a really good game but also like one of the curious things about revisiting resident evil 4 that makes that one a unique case is so like replaying metroid prime like i just did that game, I think, was a masterpiece when it came out. It's still you can play it now and still feel that. Like you can still man, this is something special. Part of that is because it post Metroid Prime did not inspire hundreds, you know, thousands of games to follow in its footsteps. Metroid Prime sort of remains sort of this singularly weird little little thing. Um, and part of why revisiting it feels so fantastic is because, oh, I don't have I can't load up Steam and go, I'm about to scratch that itch here. Um, And what's different about Resident Evil 4 is that it influenced everything that came after it. Like Shinji Mikami's team that that, that worked on that. Like even Mikami himself failed to chase like his own creation when uh, when with The Evil Within, a game that just feels as though uh, Mikami stepped off of Resident Evil 4, revisited it, you know, 15 years later and said... I'll just make a sequel to that game, ignoring the fact that the entire games industry looked at Resident Evil 4 and went, ah, 
this is the template we're all going to build off of going forward. This is so smart and interesting. We'll just build from there. And Resident Evil 4 just ignores, or Evil then ignores all the forks <laughs> that happened afterwards. So, Patrick, I am curious. What are you, like, you're saying here that, like, oh, yeah, this is, like, this is the blueprint going forward, right? What, what is that blueprint? Like, what, what is the thing that, like, you see as so fundamentally defining about Resident Evil 4 that, like, is carried forward in, like, to such a degree? That's an interesting question. I don't know if that goes down to anything like single or particular, um, but it's really the 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 shooting feels like it's a, it's a very competent, well made action game with shooting. Whereas, and I don't, Rob, you played Resident Evil One. Like that remake is fantastic, but I don't know that you're going around saying the gunplay here is exquisite you know it's like it's more of a game that is a combination that remaster of it. feels much more like it's it, yep this is resident evil one but like the improvements are like they're very profound like the controls are so different mm-hmm. from what they were originally but the vibe of the game is so similar to what it was yeah and, I, and i'd say like a, one of the huge step forwards that resident Evil 4 takes is like it's a really it feels really good to shoot it really feels really good to engage in the crowd control like it, it a lot of what it lays down is this but just this, this groundwork for like how you handle like a third person character action game. Like I think you can point to any singular. It's less a single thing that people follow as much as looking at Resident Evil Four. Like this is how games should feel, um, and not necessarily sort of horror games necessarily, but um, just sort of that era of the third person character action game. Uh, you look up anything that comes in its wake, and you can see, you know, you can see. Oh, they played Resident Evil and and wanted more of that. But that's that's interesting. I don't know off the top of my head what I would point to as the singular element um, uh, as much as just sort of everything it did was kind of seen as a kind of kind of realignment of of what those games were. And it made it even more interesting was that it only came out on GameCube to start. It's like the platform most people did not have if they had bought. You owned a GameCube because you already had, a, a you know, a PlayStation or an Xbox. Like it was rare that you were the GameCube only household. But this was an era of Capcom where... I think it was famously called the Capcom 5, where they committed to, which sounds like we're putting people in jail for bank crimes, uh, the Capcom 5, but it was, it was Capcom committing to making like five sort of like pillar games for um, for the GameCube. I think they only made four. One of them one of them like was some sort of a aerial action game that never, never materialized, but... Um, uh, so it, what's interesting is I I, I, should, I need to go back and actually play a little bit more, at least of the intro of Resident Evil 4, because I don't have a good grasp right now, uh, Rob, like the revelations you and I had playing Dead Space of, well, this is probably, this is just it, right? Like, this is mostly yeah. just it. And it's, I cannot tell, um, and I don't think it's breaking embargo to say, like, beyond the space that is in the demo, I it's unclear to me you know what is traversal that is just we've taken the maps here and laid them down and what is the developers going above and beyond um to sort of like re like what is it what does it mean to play a game like this uh in uh in 2023 i don't know so i'll have to do some of that research between now and um friday when i can talk a little more uh, thoroughly about what the game is doing uh beyond the opening village but um yeah, it's. But uh, you're still in that like this feels like Resident Evil Four. And yeah, that's awesome, and that's and that well, uh, and that's uh, that was one thing I was very curious about because Resident Evil Four is a very tonally weird game. It's it's a game where you are um, like one of the main mechanics you do to defeat enemies is to shoot them in the leg so they fall to the ground, and then there's a button prompt so you can do a 
suplex on them or a roundhouse yeah. kick. Um, and it's sick. It's great. It's like, so, like go look up. There's a, a there's like if you just Google, you know, Resident Evil 4 suplex, you will get a bunch of compilations of people like just, you know, throwing cultists to the ground during sequences uh, in this game. And it's, it's just extremely silly. It's very WWE style stuff. And part of what they did in Resident, in Resident Evil 2 especially was uh, I mean, they really grounded thick. I mean, it's already they made it scary and spooky and in all the ways that I was hoping for it's a, you know I think it's a tremendous accomplishment and I was like well what are they going to like what do you do with Resident Evil 4 a game that refuses to be kind of pigeonholed to a single tone like what do you do with a game that uh can oscillate between all of this stuff uh so rapidly and I don't uh, that's not an answer I can really speak to quite yet until the embargo is up but like in that the village sequence yeah man like you want to you want to roundhouse kick this woman with a with with a with, 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 to the face like you can and it looks cool um even if it looks extremely goofy and kind of like out of place uh it's it's in place because it's risen evil 4 and that's just what it did before patrick how should i renata price yeah experience resident evil 4 for the first time should i like play should i go back and play resident evil 4 nah. before this game comes out or do you want do you think i should go in fresh I think you can go in fresh. I, uh, again, can't really speak too much more to the what happens after the village, but, I, you know, the team that worked on this has, like, I wouldn't tell you to go play the original Resident Evil 2. I would tell you to play mm-hmm. that remake, and if you found it interesting, then go back and play the original Resident Evil 2 just to see kind of what they did with it. I think that was a right. game that, uh, that, an update that kept the real soul of it. Dead Space did it too, right? Like, Rob and I, you know, playing through both of those, I... That original game is still great. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'd be... I would still be telling people, if you're interested in playing this game, play the new one. Like, they did it. They nailed it. Like, this is Dead Space and looks spectacular. And you get all the quality of life upgrades and the kind of stuff that you would want. And, the you know, this is the kind of team that I, I think is going to knock that out of the park with this mm-hmm. update. And you will get all the fun stuff that comes along with, you know... Uh, playing a game made on modern consoles and then if you find that interesting um it'd be worth going back to see how that's changed but then again original 4 is still a great game it is still a very good game like if if you couldn't play any of them and you could just play the original you wouldn't have to do a lot of squinting to be like i wonder i, I wonder if oh, i can figure out why people thought this was interesting like i think pretty right. quickly even in just the village sequence alone you would understand why when that game originally came out people were losing their minds for it now an additional question. Did you play any of the VR uh, version of Resident Evil 4? I did. I played up through, like, the village s- sequence, because that's, like, you know, a good first half hour uh, of the game, depending on how how fast you, you get through it. And the, the VR one is an excellent adaptation of that. It really rethinks how the UI works, and um, it is cool to... Uh, aim a gun, aim a gun at a head and and pull it off with the precision that you get out of VR relative to right. you know a controller or a keyboard uh, and mouse. Um, it's a it's a very good version of one of those. It doesn't feel bolted on. It feels uh, as though the team that worked on that like spent a lot of time wondering what would Resident Evil Four, how would it work in in VR. It's a it's a very good one of those. Um, but right. it's a, yeah, that's another spoke uh, off of it uh, that you could that you you know <laughs> that you can walk down. Got it. Thank you. So uh, I have continued to put more time into The Pale Beyond, uh, which I just played the start of, uh, I think, like a week or so ago when when I brought it up. Uh, So to refresh, The Pale Beyond is a... 
visual novel, like Arctic management, uh, like survival game is the way I put it. Like the the conceit is that you are part of an expedition going to recover what remains of a previously lost uh, expedition uh, in the in, you know in in the Arctic, and you know you're you're sort of put aboard the ship with a tight-knit crew under a, the, a captain they've sailed with for years. And in the prologue, uh, you know, spoilers for the, the setup of this game, but, like, in the prologue, by the end of it, uh, right when the ship is trapped in ice and you're in that situation where the ship's not going to sail anymore, and now this has become, like, an Arctic survival camp uh, out here on the on the ice sheets... The captain goes missing. You're sort of put in charge of the crew who don't really know you. You don't really know them. And every week you, you know, it's, it's you know, a resource allocation game, really, where every week you are assigning different workers, different tasks that produce different resources that your crew needs. Uh, and, and so, like, you know, the, the tension that you often have is... If you are like this is a lot like a paired back frostpunk in some ways in terms of the systems you are juggling like so you you know if you let the camp run a bit cold you know if you if you only use like half the fuel uh, that it recommends you use for keeping everyone like safely warm some number of crew members will develop uh, like a freezing condition and if that's not treated they will develop like frostbite and uh, like die. And if you cut rations to like half, a certain number of crew members will develop like a malnourished condition. And you can treat those things by like bringing up the temperature or like uh, sending people to the, the medical tent. But those have limited sp- spots, too. And so it's all this like juggling act of how how much resource conservation are you willing to do, knowing that that is going to generate further complications that will it's will themselves uh require further resources as you go but overall i think that so this is a this is this was developed by uh not sure how this is pronounced uh belulier uh Bellular studios but it's published by a fellow traveler uh who really seemed to be cornering the market on the narrative uh strategy game as it were like this is the uh, this is the publisher behind like uh, suzerain uh which is sort of an an all-timer for me and i think sort of the the insight here is that a lot of these things you could they do feel like strategy games but they get it maybe let me back up a lot of times when we think of strategy games, they're all systems, right? And so if you're yes. thinking about a uh, Arctic survival game, maybe it would look a lot like Frostpunk, uh, but where it would be like everyone's kind of anonymous, like maybe little events crop up, but like they aren't like people you really know. It's like moving the pieces around the board, having them work in different spots, and mm-hmm. uh, certain things are con- like, you know, resources are consumed at a steady rate, like, you know, a la an RTS and such. Uh And I think what, you know, the types of developers that fellow travelers working with a lot of these uh, like strategic visual novel developers, the insight they've had is that for a lot of these settings, what's kind of interesting is the interplay of like 
the character dynamics and the personalities as opposed mm-hmm. to the pure system. So, like, you know, if we think about um, why has it always been so hard to make a good Star Trek game, right? And it's mm-hmm. because, like, piloting or captaining the Enterprise, like, you know, shooting the phasers, fire, tra- like, none of that's really that interesting, right? Like, it's, it's kind of cool. The spaceship's cool, but, like, what's essential to Star Trek is the crew, right? Like, if you, like, if you can't go and have the conversation with Mr. Spock to, like, have the breakthrough idea mm-hmm. of how to save the day, if you can't go and, like, deal with the, you know, conflict that's er- erupted, uh, you know, with the, with the doctor or something, then it just doesn't, it doesn't have the right vibe, but that is the stuff that's hard to systematize. That's the stuff mm-hmm. that's hard to, like, you know, a lot of a lot of strategy game design is like, well, it runs on meters. Like, where's the, you know, you know, if you're asking me, like, how do we generate a moment where Mr. Spock is depressed? We need to have a Mr. Spock meter. The visual novel kind of sidesteps that whole problem, right? Where it's like mm-hmm. there's going to be story beats where these things happen, and so you're going to have these dynamics and you're going to have an impact on them, but it's not going to be driven by some sort of like mathy system. Uh, the mathy system right. that's running is just simple arithmetic to keep the overall like state of the camp uh, in in focus. Mm-hmm. And I think it, you know, I don't know that I would say, I'm not going to say this is like, um, it's not up in suzerain territory where, where I think mm-hmm. it's like one of, like I think that is genuinely like one of those brilliant implementations of like this, this sort of idea. Uh, but it is really effective at like walking that line between feeling super ominous and Mm -hmm. scary, but not being so punishing that it feels like you're having to constantly like walk back to the previous branch on a choose your own adventure and be like, okay, I really, I really fucked that up and I gotta, I gotta Mm re-rack. Um, but Overall, it's like it really is working in part because like there's there's some really nice art uh, and just a just an overall like good vibe in terms of the music and like the 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 atmosphere of like, you know, when you when you see the uh, when you change camps and you go deeper onto the ice sheet, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, your your camp gets, you know, more and more vulnerable. This little huddle of tents and buildings uh, in the middle of the ice. And so it's ended up being like a really good game that gets at the vibe of a TV show like The Terror in some ways. Great, great show. Yeah, just incredible first first season. Anyway, I think I think. Well, the really first season is based on a novel, right? And then, then they're yeah. like, it's going to be a brand. It's going to be a story anthology, and they just didn't have you know as, like by all accounts as good a source material uh, with, with season two. But yeah, and so like it gets at some of that where as sort of the new commander of this crew you are constantly like a little bit out of the loop and you're just getting to know people and a big function of this is you need to maintain sort of a critical mass of loyalty from the leaders of the ship's company uh in order to maintain your captaincy um mm-hmm. and so oh, what can can is can can a mutiny occur like what are the fail states of this other than this is the thing so i haven't had a mutiny occur uh but things that like things have not gotten truly dire but like there there was at least in one place a 
at the end of the prologue, you were voted in as captain. There's a whole like voting screen to show like how the voting blocks go. And it makes me think you're going to see that again. Uh, you know, it certainly seemed like a bit of interface that is is there to be used uh, at least a couple times over the course of the game. The big fail state I hit was uh, so in the first act, um, you receive a warning that as the ice is thickening, uh, that sort of got your ship trapped and the shifting, the pressure is building on the ship, and the ice wants to like buckle the ship's hull and and, and destroy it. And that's going to happen in X number of weeks. And I just pushed it too hard. I was like, I think, I, you know, this is a good base of operations. Like, we'll stick with the ship as long as possible, and then we will we will move out. Uh, I stuck with it a week longer than I should have, and everyone died. And it was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, now we got to... Um, oh, so there truly is... I Because I was wondering if, you know, I haven't played a lot of these sort of, like, narrative slash strategy games, but I, one of the things I liked so much about Citizen Sleeper last year was... Uh, and I've been the, the the dev about it uh, eventually for for a story that's on on the site was it has a th- it threatens you with a fail state and it cr- it generates so much tension out of this thing that can happen to you that you are not just because you want your character to like continue living just because that's how you frequently play, play video games but um, it creates all this uh, this 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 the storytelling tension but ultimately like it's not really. It's more just like the threat of a fail state. Most players are never going to get edge up close enough to it to they might get to a knife's edge, but they find a way out of it. And what they'll what they'll then never discover, which is what I didn't discover till I just asked, was, hey, like we're never truly going to bounce you out of this game. We'll like find you a way way back in. And so I was curious how how, how a game like this, which is a game about like probably no good choices, it's all bad choices, and then just dealing with the ramifications of the mm-hmm. bad choices. You know how that stacks in a in a way that you know leads to either success. Yeah, I don't know or failure. how successful that particular example is because, like, obviously, it teaches a lesson early in the game that, like, when people tell you, "Hey, like, there's a there's a timer on this that is running, and you can't see it, but you do need to bear in mind that it is happening." Uh, you know, it's it's useful for instructing to for instructing you in that part of the game, but at the same time, what happened in in practice was I just wound the clock back three weeks to when they first bring up mm-hmm. the effect that the ice is building up and the pressure is building up. And then I was like, okay, well, I'll take that yeah, one more so seriously. after two weeks, I will say, like, it's time to evacuate the ship and then we're going to be fine. And so there is a bit of that, like, you know, it, it, it feels a bit like, um, you know, you're going to be doing some of that choose your own adventure wrote, like, I'm just going to not make the same mistake I did. But... I would I would say like that's kind of a that's a particularly dramatic example. I think the bigger tension is, and I feel like this is what the the game is building towards. Can you save everybody? Can you keep everyone alive out here on the ice? Because here's the other thing: uh, the bigger the crew is, like the harder it is to feed them. Uh, that's the, like that's a a part of this is having the full ship's co- uh, company with you. Uh, you know, consumes a ton of food, which means that you have to consume, like the way it works is you go to your little map while you're in camp and you send out expeditions to go like forage and hunt. And you'll be sending, you know, with the full crew, you'll need to send like almost everybody out hunting just so you can sort of be able to keep steady rations uh, for the, for, for the next food cycle. And there's kind of a question of, 
am I doing the right thing hmm. by being so <laughs> antsy about like, right. oh man, like I can't have malnourishment break out among this crew. But it might be that like some of this is going to require like first you're going to have to like you're going to have to put these people on like scanty rations and like, you know, uh, thin heat uh, in order to get them all through. And you're going to have to deal with the like sickness and malnourish- malnutrition that, that comes from that. Because if you mm-hmm. don't do that, if you just try to keep everyone's meters full, you're just going to consume way too many resources to survive. And so I, I am beginning to feel like I am at that tipping point where like, the machine, the 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 cycle of the machine that runs every week is you allocate people going to do tasks and you allocate your your resources. It is beginning to wobble, right? It is getting mm-hmm. colder. More people are coming back like hurt and sick from the hunts, uh, and that is all stuff that has to be sort of addressed the next time around. But that's going to consume more resources, and I'm beginning to have that loop where I am now spending about half my resources repairing the damage that's happened to my crew week to week. And that is meaning that boy, it sure would be sad if that hunting crew didn't come back. I mean, we'd all be really upset that <laughs> Rhonda didn't make it back. Whoops. Guess we got God some more damn, beans this Rhonda, week. To go Jesus, Patrick. <laughs> yeah. So it is, it, it is kind of that stuff. Um, <gasps> and uh, like it's but I, I think the big the, the the bigger thing overall is just the the vibe uh you know the 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 characters i think some of the characters are really well drawn some of them are like it's still a bit of a game of uh caricatures um again if we're using the like you know if we're, ta- if we're using like suzerain or sit and sleeper as reference points i'm not sure i have a strong sense of p like characters being complicated in the way they are in those games uh whereas here they're they're a bit more what you see is what you get uh but you know i'm starting to see also those fun little indications of like hey this character's personality seems to be changing over the course of the last couple weeks like is the madness taking them on the ice or are they like are they observing things that are real right like there's this character that is beginning to be like hey there's some real problems in this camp and i'm like i I don't see them, but maybe they're right. But maybe they're also starting to just like turn against the crew, you know, and that's that's sort of the the other fun part of this is we're starting to like get into that good. We're going to check some boxes for the Arctic Explorer disaster story. So I, I have a question that I've been thinking about since we started talking about this, like the strategy game visual novel hybrid. Right. Do you feel like the game is telling a story that the systems would have like, if, if, if an emergent story that you had been building while you were playing these same systems, do you think you would have arrived at something similar to the actual like story this game is trying to tell? Would the systems have produced this? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, no, no, I I think, um, in the broad outlines. Yes. In terms of like getting the crew through week to week, you know, on the journey Mm -hmm. across the ice, in terms of like the detail of what life is like in camp, who the people are, that is the stuff that wouldn't have come through, right? Like the the Frostpunk version of this is Frostpunk rides on really good animation and art and like you know over, just overall like aesthetics to communicate something about the place you live, but you have no real sense for 
who anyone is in this town, right? It's like there's engineers, there's children, there's workers, and, you know, your only sense of, like, who they are as characters, little, like, you know, portraits when an event concerning them crops up and they're, you know, huddled in their little engineer's outfit or whatever, and that's that's the only interaction. Here, you know, the thing that, like, just pure systems wouldn't have produced is, like, okay, well, because I've been handling things a certain way, the sort of gruff, hard-to-impress ship's carpenter Grimly is starting to warm up to me, and I'm getting Grimly on side, and Grimly, if Grimly's on my side, then, like, a lot of the old sailors uh, are also going to come around to me. And that's something that, you know, again, like, the more uh, abstract systems game might bring across with, like, crew meter go up, but it wouldn't have the feeling of... Grimly's my guy now. Like mm-hmm. he and I are like this. But uh Got it. yeah, it's been it, it's it's been a fun it's it's been a perfect game to one nice thing about the the cyclical nature of this as well is each week is like 15 minutes of play. Uh and so it's very easy to sort of like I'm going to you know fire it up, make some decisions. Uh all right, now I got to go clean the kitchen or take the dog for a walk or whatever. Good, good luck with good luck with your ice cold temperatures. Yeah, exactly. Time to alt F four. Uh, the only <laughs> thing is, uh, you have to play through the whole cycle. It can't save mid cycle. So, like, I got burned a couple times because I was like, surely it's going to save this progress on a different part of the day. You know, it's that. No, everything was lost. It just kicks you back to the start <laughs> of the day. Uh, so that's the one thing you got to be careful for. Uh, Dark. But beyond that, it's 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 a lot of fun. Uh, I've been I've been really enjoying it, in spite of a growing sense of like impending disaster. Uh, so, but you know, that's what I kind of signed up for is what's this impending disaster going to look like? Uh, Ren, last thing before I want to hit before break. Yeah, you've been playing a game called Mortal Sin. Yes, and I right have. now all I can say is it looks very cool and strange, but I don't know what it is. It is an extremely visually striking roguelite that is coming out uh, on Wednesday uh, into early access, and is just like a really the the aesthetic touch points I would use. There are two games that it makes me think of. Uh, it's like a a step between Return of the Obra Dinn uh, and Saturnalia. Uh, as 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 like it has the the color palette of Saturnalia, but the like a similar scan line heavy, hi, extremely high contrast, very basic texturing, uh, primary color work of Oberdin, right? And it is a melee focused roguelite that is. It just feels really good to play is the thing. Like it is making my brain feel good. Like the melee combat lands exceptionally. So basically the premise is that you are a person who is fighting through uh I believe hell uh in order to like attempt to like reckon with a mortal sin and achieve immortality. Um and like each run has you go into these like one of three levels and you know the whole point of the game is to beat all three levels in sequence, right? That is it's it's doing the thing that many of these games do, right? And I think that it couples that like pretty basic structure with a melee combat system that is like pretty engaging. So like, for example, there are like four things you can do with every weapon. You can kick with your little feetsies. 
you can bash an enemy, which is kind of like a sprint. And that is both that acts as a dodge too, effectively. So like if you hold back and hit the bash button, you'll like bash and push back. Uh, and then there is a basic attack, a charged attack, and then there's a block, which you can use to parry, right? But the basic interplay between these is like, in and of itself, really neat, right? You use kicking for crowd controlling a single unit. You use bashing to get out of the way or close distance really quickly against an enemy that's going to hit you. But then the game starts layering on more things as you go and like giving you access to combos. So for example, if you uh, kick and then do a normal uh, a normal slash, instead you do like a, a forward strike, right? You do like a, a stab forward that will like cut through enemies, right? Or if you do a bash and then do an attack, you will do like a power attack immediately, right? And the other cool thing about this is that because you are fighting the undead, you have to remove all of an enemy's limbs. It is not like all a, of them, oh, like yes. head, two yes. arms, yeah. two legs. Yeah, or they just keep. They'll just keep. They'll just crawl towards you. Just yep. like, hey, I'm still here. Yep. And like it's it's not like you have to do specific limb targeting all the time because that would get I think like pretty frustrating and like pretty like micromanagey. If you hit someone with a hard enough attack, all their shit's going flying. Like they are they are they are gone. But uh, you do get these moments where you're like, okay, cool. I thought that I had really cut through this like mob of enemies that has been chasing me. No, I haven't. I just took out all of their legs and they're still coming towards me. And there's a spear guy over to the right who I have to deal with. And like in these moments, like the combat systems really start to sing. And eventually you can unlock like more combos. So for example, if you kick someone, then bash them and then do a normal attack, you transition directly into like a spinning whirlwind. Uh, and so like you're using all of these like different tools and different patterns to like it feels um, it feels almost like a first person character action game, like a devil may cry almost. Have you ever, have you ever like, played Xenoclash? No, this is a long running series. A new one just came out this week. I'm a um, Xenoclash is it's the first one's from 20, 2009. It's a, it's a ways back, but it's a. It's a first-person kind of... They describe themselves as, a, like, making first-person fighting games. But, you know, mm-hmm. essentially, it's, like, first-person brawlers where there are, just like you're describing, like, combo systems and a, and a real explicit focus on, like, first-person, like, hand-to-hand combat and systems that engage, like, deeply uh, with that. It was it was extremely novel when the original one came out um, on the 360 uh, and PC in 2009. I have not seen uh, what this team has been... Uh, doing with that those systems with the, with the newest one, I I got a code for, it, but I just haven't had a chance to to crack into it. But I couldn't help but think of this game um, as you are describing it because it is definitely playing in similar territory. Yeah, and I think that like the the basic systems are really satisfying to use. Um, I think the presentation is also like it's just a really visually striking game. However. The animations, I th- believe this was made by like a solo uh, solo dev. Yeah, uh, there's or, one one person credited on on Steam. Yes. Uh, the animations are simultaneously like kind of scuffed where it's like, oh, that didn't feel like an attack animation that the enemy was doing. Like that was pretty awkward. It didn't feel like something was trying to hit me. Right. But at the same time, the degree to which the hit stop has been tuned in this game is fucking tremendous. Like hit stop is like the key to making any action or like one of the keys, to like making any action game, like capital F feel good. Uh, and this game's hit stop is 
delicious. Like it grind. If you are using like a big great sword and you hit an enemy or a group of enemies, the entire game just grinds to a fucking halt in a way that is like utterly delectable. Uh, and also like gives you time to figure out what the next combo you're going to do is when you're like surrounded by like a large group of enemies. And so like it is not perfectly polished. I think the animations are a bit messy, but the game feels so good that I can ignore literally all of that. Like I can toss all that shit out the window because man walk through room with big sword feel very good. Um, and I'm, I'm really liking it so far. Uh, it's releasing in early access, but like the dev is like, it's content complete, right? I consider this a finished video game, but I would like to like keep developing it. Like that is, that is the reason that I'm putting it in early access is because I just want to keep doing this. I'm having fun. Yeah, it looks awesome. Yeah, yeah it it's really cool. sick. All right, well, uh, that is Moral Sin. And yeah, it is coming out, uh, well, by the time you listen to this, apparently tomorrow. Uh, yeah. So very 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 soon uh we're going to take a quick break here and back after this when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, that was The Last of Us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, the finale for the the last of us uh, uh took place uh the uh, last evening. Um I thought it was I thought it was good. It was not effective. It was definitely one of those where like knowing so the one thing that's really interesting about where this episode ends up is part of the magic of the ending of the original Last of Us is that there's 7 years between the the original game and the sequel. There's not as much ambiguity like that was that was like what like to endless conversations about what happens in the final arc of that game is you don't know how these characters really feel about what happened and that there never really needed to be a sequel if you didn't want to The Last of Us. And arguably, as we've said sometimes on this podcast, like maybe shouldn't have. Um, Whereas here, I do think all of it is a little bit undercut. By the fact that, you know, a month ago, you know, there were tweets from HBO saying season two coming soon because mm-hmm. um, it sort of leaves. It turns it, it's more of a cliffhanger as opposed to a period. And I do think that makes the final exchange between Joel and Ellie feel a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I got to be honest, I have like. I feel like I have been pulling away from this show uh as as it has gone on like i do like i did not think that like the the previous episode uh with with david and such mm-hmm. and the little like cannibal cult did not land for me at all um you know i think we discussed you know the the various ways that the uh you know riley uh, flashback stuff maybe didn't it was such a literal adaptation of video game stuff didn't land and then this one 
felt so rushed. Um, like it was really a like it, it really felt like an episode where a bunch of things had to happen, but they didn't necessarily have space to breathe. Like, do you remember in um, we've all seen Groundhog Day, right? Bill Murray, mm-hmm. Harold Ramis. No, but I'm familiar. So there's a uh, like there's a point where as he's trying to figure out, he's trying to like basically speed run his days, right? And he like it begin, he takes on this like manic quality as he begins to try to replay moments that occurred naturally on a previous like iteration of the day. Now he is trying to accelerate past them to get to the the next part. And that is the vibe that this episode had in places. And in particular, it felt like the early stages where Joel and Ellie are hanging out. It felt like they were rushing through so much work to try to get Joel to a different place that it began to feel like Joel was fast forwarding through his scenes uh, in in just a just a weird way. Like the you know, I was watching it. I was like, damn, did like. Joel, you know, get divorced and win custody of Ellie between these two episodes because this is like weird. Like, come on, kiddo. Uh, like, just weird vibes. And some of that is in the game, but here it is so compressed that it begins to register as uh, just kind of false, I guess. Uh, not not supported. Like, not like it is an evolving relationship, but that the relationship needs to get to this point. I mean, Rob, didn't you know that uh, saving a young girl from a pedophilic cannibal instantly turns you into a good dad? He didn't save anyone. Like he didn't do, he didn't do shit in that scene. No, he did not. Sorry. Sorry. Let me, let me put respect on Ellie. God. Look, it, it, well, and, and that's, and that's the other thing is like uh, a small thing, but like the, the cannibal episode too, we got all this trouble of the, you know, it's an entire settlement full of people, right? And in the game, the mm-hmm. thing there's like part of, one of the things they handle is once all hell breaks loose, that whole settlement comes alive and is be like mm-hmm. a hostile territory. Here, their big old resort lounge uh, catches fire, like like nobody ca- is, is everyone okay in there? No, just is that- nothing. <laughs> but, oh, all those people that we've like spent time with the rest of the, it doesn't matter. They they uh, they're asleep. I mean, I think that like the the fact that like this this ending is pretty rushed for me feels like kind of true of the whole season. I think that like nine episodes of television was not enough time for the thing that they wanted to do, especially if they were going to and they did spend time in other parts of the world. Right. Like if you are going to tell this story in nine episodes, then like. I don't know if you can have my favorite scene of the se- one of my favorite scenes of the season, which is like that epi- the, the beginning of episode two, right? Like those those moments where the camera leaves our characters and it's like, what else is happening in the world? I think that like a better version of this show gets like maybe three more episodes. Maybe we hit 12 and then fill some of that space with more time for Joel and Ellie to build this relationship. Point A and point B, more time for the rest of the world to exist. Yeah, I, I broadly agree. I mean, I think I think it lands, right? I think it lands the plane just fine. I think part of where this feels, where some of this is coming from, is like when it has moments where it allows itself a chance to breathe, you can see it blossoming into something more. And so I think this season was effective at 
retelling this story and doing some work to kind of expand and, and improve on it in in many ways, but that I think there was an opportunity cost at like some of those decisions. Like, you know, we episode three was tremendous, but essentially you lose an episode with Joel and Ellie as a result. And it's like, okay, you know, if if ultimately this is a story about these two characters and evolving relationship, as much as I enjoyed that third episode, you essentially lose out on. But you know, but that's the thing. Like I think, but I think the third episode was one of their stronger episodes. And absolutely. So I think like the show at its best, and, and to Ren's point as well, the the side trip into how did like uh this unfold in a different place what was the origin of this but also we're going to meet this character and have her sort of confront her foreknowledge of what all of this means those moments are really good and they do so much to establish a tone uh for the show and i like it has just felt like for me since uh like since they left tommy's effectively we have just been whipping through plot beats and there hasn't been a lot of to me it also is like there hasn't been earned character development i guess is is mm-hmm. is what i would say like characters end up in different places but it now just begins to feel like well we got to move joel into this like slightly needy desperate uh parent uh you know mold we got to get him to that place uh because he's gonna that's gonna have to like go dark and power him through a a mass a mass slaughter of the fireflies so we need to get him to that place uh real real fast we need to get ellie super depressed uh and then you know quietly like resolve to have her sacrifices and everyone else's sacrifices redeemed we gotta get her to that place really really quick how are we gonna do that um she's gonna be really bummed about like the trauma that like meeting david uh inflicted on her uh so that's you know that's where we're but they going don't talk to talk about it right like it's it's all like there's not even space for there to be dialogue uh and not necessarily maybe she doesn't want to talk about it but there's not even space for joel to ask about it you know what i mean and clearly at that stage in their relationship you would imagine he would be a little attuned to what's going on there and and there are moments where he is obviously like why isn't this conversation landing with you but you're right that it can only kind of occur in the video gamey we're walking from waypoint a to waypoint b um and there's no time for it to, to linger in the same way that like an episode the first one in kansas city for or whatever where like they have the discussion about the gun right like there is no equivalent to that sort of come down from from mm-hmm. a moment um in when the way she hacks david to fucking pieces uh, as the the world burns around her you would imagine you you would want a sort of uh, a moment to kind of connect on that. And it just never really occurs because it, it has to get them to the hospital. Um, you know, a, a different episode, that, a different episode that, you know, cut right before Joel's rampage, like, you know, ended like the, the episode before the finale is like them getting there, like having more time. And then like before the rampage occurs, like. That would be the the setup for for the finale. At least would have provided a little more exercise in 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 that all. Well, I, I think the, like I think David in general. I don't think I think David is a problem in the original game. I yeah, it's, never... it's a really weak part of the game. Like Ellie on her own is the strongest part of that sequence. But then it's easy to forget all the other stuff that happens. And I would have much rather have just had Ellie on her own 
you know, brief encounter with some group and then right. not have to go through all of that. But um, the other the other thing is because uh, both like I didn't think that. I, I certainly didn't look at The Last of Us and be like, you know, the problem with the David sequence is there's just too much subtlety. Uh, but the <laughs> show apparently decided uh, there there was. Uh, so we get this, like, instead of the, the, the creepy, like, uh, Humbert Humbert intimations of the game, uh, we get, uh, you know, this David by the end of that sequence being like, mm, I like it rough. And then getting hacked it's- to pieces. And it's like, it's both like, like he's a gross character. He's he's meant to be gross, but the thing that is, the thing they really fumble here is that I think one of the things that like we're supposed to draw from his conversation with Ellie, where he sees in her a kindred spirit in terms of like. You're a violent and hardened person in this world. I think we are supposed to draw uh, the the inference that like something that haunts her about that is because he is playing on insecurities she has uh, that that she that that she is like sort of a broken and like malevolent force in this world. But we can't linger over that because also like immediately after that he's like and and therefore you will be my child bride which moves that as the that is going to become the that moves to the forefront of concerns and that is a problem easily solved with i'm gonna take this cleaver and hack you to little pieces about it uh but the thing that gets lost is any sort of indication of like wow like some of this really got to ellie because Mm -hmm. david is such an obvious piece of shit and he's played so broadly well, there's actually like, you know, you can say like uh, some of this really got to Ellie in terms of it's like a traumatic thing. But anything that David would say about you just isn't going to land. We just don't. There, there's nothing we can. He's look not a serious David. person. He's not a serious no. person. He's not like. <laughs> it's like he's a, a cartoon villain in a game like he's the most cartoonish villain in, in the game. And that comes across here, even if the, the performance isn't necessarily wildly over the top until the very end when he turns into a stalking video game boss. Oh right, and God. so we're just not going to take seriously anything that he's going to be, like, he has no insight that he's going to bring. This is like the opposite of uh, the Joker in the Dark Knight, where it's like, there is this like ridiculous character, but he is able, you know, in the Justice guys to draw out some truth about like the absurdity mm-hmm. of the situation, the absurdity of like Batman's place in this like universe. And here we just got like kind of a weird piece of shit uh, who says a bunch of stuff about Ellie to justify his own predations. But I do think the show wants like wants us to feel like, ah, this is hitting on some of Ellie's insecurities, but it's completely like stepped on by what that sequence turns into. Um, Mm -hmm. Which again, also a problem with the original game. The original game is like, uh, yeah, he's a creepy, uh, like predator cannibal cult leader. And so we know what we got to do here. And so the, the entire thing ends up like skewing very, very broad. Um, but mm-hmm. it's so much worse here. And well, it's, it's, it's all broad, right? Like that is like the, the definition of like, I mean, like there's a lot of specificity. There's been some specificity that happens in the television show as it tries to fill in those details, but the game itself in general, was like much more broad about about moments like this, and it does make me wonder. It's a huge, you know, hypothetical. I don't, I don't know, but uh, you can't help but wonder: Are is stuff like this still on the television show because Druckmann is involved? 
if mm. this was a it's, it's an adaptation and it's true there are plenty of times where original creators are involved in that process it's not necessarily a ding against it to take it from one medium to to another but as much as Craig Mazin has been able to like kind of, you know massage some things and I think like make make it a better work in some places you cannot help but wonder a different world where it's like blank canvas to adapt this story and characters how you would see fit would something like that episode essentially just disappear um, as a result? Because I don't know how much it actually accomplishes. Or you could have accomplished similar things more effectively in the way you're talking about without a over-the-top villain that is impossible to take seriously. I definitely found myself wondering about that very question, mostly about the Riley episode, where I was like, this is such a... Well, we nailed it in the game, so now right. we're, just, we're not going to touch this. This, this framework is precious. And this, this is how we did it there. So we've yeah, got to and do it's it like, but too. it's not a game. Like this is a TV. This is an episode of television that feels like a video game. And so there've been moments I've wondered that there's just been a little bit of hesitation to sort of reimagine how this could all come together. But I do think the the real culprit here is like this is a nine episode order that should have been thirteen. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a really expensive show, too. I'm sure that is, you know, this is a show that moves locations and you can see the money in the next location. I, I do wonder if maybe there's an opportunity because they've already said this, you know, the the you know, they're not going to adapt the second game all in one go. You know, they've said at least two seasons. It's very easy to imagine how that would happen, uh, given the way that story plays out. Although I imagine they'll reinvent the structure. I don't think they're going to copy the structure of of that game that would be extremely weird um it works as a game i don't well i don't know if it works as a game but it like i don't think it would work as a, as, as television um and it's interesting you point to um so that ending sequence is really interesting because in the game right you're playing as joel the character has made a choice to go on a rampage in this hospital to save ellie under the pretenses well she didn't get a choice well, so how, you know, so how, how can this can't go? You have to you have to take her out of this. Like you, if she's going to die in, in pursuit of this cure, she needs to make the choice to have done that. Well, I mean, Joel doesn't actually give a shit about that. That may be his own personal justification. But you as the as the player then have to murder all of these people and mow it down like you are holding the controller. You are killing the fireflies. You are have this sequence in which like time to be a badass while mowing down these people, and I don't necessarily, I don't know if I agree with Joel's, uh, uh, his, his move here, uh, necessarily, even if I understand where the character might, might be coming from. And here, it's almost like on the show, they have to dial up him being like a psychopath. Yeah. Because they, it's the one time, you know, I really liked how they handled the, the sequence in Kansas City, where, like, they crashed the car, and there's only a handful of, uh, people for for Joel to take out and it's 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 handled appropriately brutal where it makes the violence feel impactful uh here they essentially copy and paste the idea that no you're gonna you know the you're gonna kill 50 people or you're gonna kill 30 people like the kind of body count the show is avoided because it's goofy and like works in the context of a video game with mechanics where you it's need so to, goofy they have to sort of hide it in a montage right um and that's, again, one of those moments where it's like, is this because this is what we did in the game? Now, there are moments where they choose to go differently, right? Like the the way Joel 
pops the surgeon like got me i was like oh fuck this way he hand i forget how it's handled with you know marlene in the game but there is a, a a brutal efficiency to joel's actions in which when they make choices like that i think it works in terms of portraying this character as like completely lost it especially relative to the happy-go-lucky way he talks as they head towards the mountains as they have to walk back to to, to jackson but i don't know i, I found that I don't know that I necessarily agreed with their solution to the issue there with how the way it was presented necessarily. Well, I think one of the, I think like one of the ways this is really failing and ends up feeling like a, in a lot of ways, a far lesser work than the game. Yeah, uh, is that at the end of the game, I always felt like. If Joel had done the wrong thing, his actions were at least understandable and to an extent defensible. Uh, like now, as we learn more about Joel, I've sort of reconsidered this character. Like my feelings have shifted on that a little bit. But like overall, I think at the end of the game, you come you like I always came away from the game feeling like Joel was somebody who was like perfectly constructed to handle this exact situation disastrously poorly and also like the fireflies had set this up to come across as like brute as brutal and tragic as possible and all these things sort of happen and the 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 result is this like explosion of misdirected violence but i think crucial to it as well is that the game was much more subtle ellie withdraws more in the game my my memory from the last act of the game is ellie gets quieter and more introspective and it is clear that she's be like she has a suspicion that there may not be a future for her for her she has a suspicion that like she might be going to her death is kind of the implication but it doesn't get enunciated as directly as it basically does in the, in the show where, you know, if you're going to say, well, she didn't get a choice here. She all but tells Joel, my choice is to redeem all these sacrifices and losses, even if it means like uh, mm-hmm. sacrificing myself. She all but she all but tells him that. And so therefore, when Joel has his whole like like the Hulk out over this. It's so clear now this is entirely about him. There's not even, there, there's there's very little genuine concern for Ellie as an individual uh, in all of this. This is entirely now about him taking back his possession, uh, you know, his his daughter, his his family, uh, both from the Fireflies and the world. And so now he's just like straight monstrous. And maybe that's just a direction they wanted to go. But I do think it ends up in this place of much like they did with Ellie in the second game, honestly, where it's like you push this thing so far and now the like sense of tragedy of it all, the sense of like, ah, like we have come to the worst possible outcome, uh, you know, given who this character was and their sort of tragic flaws and their, their virtues, all that sort of come together uh, in this, in this disaster. And here at the end of it now, I'm like, no, this person is just kind of like an irredeemable villain at the well, end. Yeah, of the because story. we like the end of the previous episode, you know, he utters baby girl. Right. And like this is, you know, portrayed as an emotional breakthrough moment between 
these two characters that has a certain sweetness, even if if she is covered <laughs> in blood and had just murdered someone who was, you know, intent on assaulting her. But then what happens over the course of this episode can't be construed as anything other than Joel looking at Ellie not as a surrogate daughter, but as a piece of property to, like, be under his thumb. And a replacement and, daughter for the one the world owes him. Right. Um, and, you know, there's, a, you know, his whole question of consent uh, in, in regards to a potential cure vaccine, what have you, seems really undercut by the fact that uh, he no longer looks at Ellie as uh, a person as much as just, like, an inhabited spirit for for uh, a great wrong that was done Which to him I don't think many years ago. As explicit in the game, like obviously that is some of what is churning beneath the it's surface. What, it, with that's Joel. what made the ending so great. Was like, yeah. you could bring to it what you wanted to. There was enough room for you, and it's why the cut to black in the original when she says okay, which they maintain here, like was fantastic because you just don't. You're like, you don't get the resolution, and you can sit and ponder like and where these characters lands, arrived. Like, the fan video of the fan adaptation of The Last of Us, where it's like the beats the same, but like it's all. It's not, not as landing uh, as as well, um, and so yeah, I think like it's it was a frustrating. It, it's been a frustrating come down, honestly, since Kansas City uh, for me because like fundamentally I was like, this is all kind of working, uh, and I was like they've 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 really done a, a a damn good job adapting this, and then it was like we're gonna stomp on the gas and get through a whole lot of like plot events, and along the way. We're just going to discard the central, like the like the convincing and like earned evolution of this relationship, and now it's going to be reduced to like waypoints on a story. Um, and that's mm-hmm. that. Like it, like for me, it has been a you know half the series was like, wow, they're really doing something great with this adaptation. They figured out like the right places to expand, the right places to pair back. They're you know drawing up things about the world, etc. And then the second half is like, all right, well, we got to get through the rest of The Last of Us. Yeah. And it's just frustrating because my, my guess is the second season, even though it'll be, you know, the, they're going to break up the, the second game in multiple parts. There probably will be more episodes. That would be my suspicion is like, why why wouldn't you have, a, you know, a little bit more if the, if the creators, uh, you know, think they have the room for it. But they're about to adapt a bunch of material, even in the best of circumstances that. I'm, I'm less that space museum in. sequence is going to hit a whole lot different now because <laughs> his whole his whole like desperate like you're my daughter I'm so glad I met you I'm so glad that you're in my life because I was so sad and broken otherwise anyway let's go to the space museum daddy daughter day fantastic I'll kill anyone who touches you like it's like Joel has ended up in this place like I don't want to see this guy take this kid around a fucking space museum like the, the Joel no. Ellie relationship's kind of blown here where it's like yeah and and the way that the way that Pedro Pascal plays that sequence after as they're as they're driving back and and specifically when they're walking um, through kind of like the the mountainside on, on the way back to Jackson. Like he's like, he's not just he he feels like a sense of relief and he's like jo- he's like joyous like he's kind of bursting at the seams like we get to go live our lives now Ellie like this is great like it is unnerving it is it is very clearly much in the way they're doing groundwork with. I understand the groundwork with Ellie's stuff to a certain extent, even though I necessarily, I can't like agree or disagree with it because it's just like that's where the second part of the story goes. I, I see why they're making those choices. Um, the, the the thumb on the scale, with, like emotional scale, with Joel in terms of how they're having Pedro Pascal play him, uh, 
yeah, it strips from the ambiguity because it just he almost gets cartoonish. It's like, what are you doing, buddy? Like, yeah. like I don't. What's going on? <laughs> I mean, it, it the way that Pedro Pascal is playing this character and the way that like the show frames him makes me almost wonder if they don't realize not that they don't realize, but like at times it feels like the showrunners think that Joel reads the same in this show that he does in the games. And like that is what my my girlfriend has been talking about this entire time as as we've been watching it together is like she really likes uh, that first game uh, and like feels like a real connection to that character and like is seeing all of the worst qualities and like worst like moments of that of that game and of that character as like the baseline that they're doing here and doesn't feel like the show believes that that is a bad thing, that he is a worse version of himself here. That's, that's the, this is the part that like, I've been wrestling with that too. Like, do they not see how much more of a monster they have made him? How how much creepier they have made him by the end of this, where it's like, oh, like Ellie, you're effectively held hostage now by yep. this by this like nut like he's yep. like you know to your point patrick like that entire manic speech in the car and like oh boy we're just gonna get tommy soon and like oh i used to go hiking with my daughter she was great you're just like her all this stuff it's like it's so skin crawling yeah and the thing that made the original game work is that if you really reflected on Joel, this is the whole conversation. Like when you, you, uh, Patrick, you and I talked with Galt, where it was like, was Joel kind of always this guy? You know, like all the good things we saw in him, like was all of it kind of tempered and shot through this lens of like real selfishness and 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 real like controlling nature. And if you you sort of scrutinize the character, you sort of draw those through lines of like there's some real there's some real vices to this this guy's like character makeup, but. Also, he had the makings of a genuinely convincing hero and sympathetic character, and the, sh- the the game exists in that tension, right? And it's why the story is so affecting to revisit, because you revisit that tension. And now it's yeah, the te- like this the tension is is drained out of it, and I'm staring at it, and I'm like, this is this is just straight up like the worst possible interpretation of Joel, like in terms of like he is the worst. Version of himself at the end, and and, but I do wonder if, and I broadly agree, but what I wonder is the differences when The Last of Us ends. Even if there were conversations about where could these characters go next, there was no next page to Mm -hmm. flip to, right? Like that was an invention that occurs later as they try to figure out what they want to do with these characters and the ramifications of the the choices made at the end of the first game. Here, I almost. Not uh, pass is the wrong word, but it makes me interested to see, like, you know, you're doing the second season. You're writing it knowing that you're getting to this other place. What kind of person is Joel in that second season? Like, is it if they drop this right, if they drop like the creepiness, uh, like that will seem a little bit strange because it's like, well, you if you're going to make this character choice, take it to its logical conclusion. When what is it like for Ellie to spend five years with him? At Jackson, like, do do we find her in a different place? You know, a lot a lot of that second game, you know, is her emotionally wrestling with the choices that Joel made on her behalf on her behalf without her involvement. Is that just heightened as a result of this tension? And that actually, over the course of five years at Jackson, she ends up resenting him in ways that will like make more sense as right. a result of the character we played this way. That's the most generous possible interpretation of where they're going with it. That I where I could see a payoff because. Otherwise, I much prefer 
the broader amb- ambiguity to the end of that story. Um, and so that's that's my best possible interpretation of like why why these choices are being made is like, hey, this will make more sense when we revisit these characters half a decade later um, with all those tensions continuing to uh, to pile up. Patrick, before we wrap up here, there was one other game we didn't get to last week that uh, people actually were like, when are we going to hear about Card Jockey? So it's time to hear about Card Jockey. Uh, I am bad at Solitaire, uh, it turns out. I've never played Solitaire before. I'm not much of a card card game person. Um, didn't really grow up with a family that played a lot of uh, card games and stuff like that. And so um, Card Jockey is a, is a game that came on the 3DS from Game Freak, uh, the Pokemon developers. They do occasionally do projects that are not involving the Pokemon. Um, one of them was this Card Jockey game, which is a mashup of a uh, like horse racing sim uh, and and solitaire. So basically the way that works is uh, you are, and it was re, and I should say it's re-released as a there was a remake that just came out on Apple Arcade. Um, so you have to sign up for to get access to it. But it's a really good uh, update to that game. If you liked the original uh, or are looking to try it for the for the first time, uh, basically the way it works is you uh, have, you know, you the way the race functions, how you are a better like your 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 horse going faster, going slower. How much stamina it consumes um, uh, is based on your ability to complete as much of or all of a round of solitaire. Um, mm-hmm. Where you know essentially you are. It, 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 tell me if solitaire is more complicated than this because I am unaware of the rules of a broader solitaire. But at least in card jockey, mostly what you are doing uh, is is you are uh, trying to get rid of all the cards that have been placed on a board. Uh, and like, let's say you pull uh, a nine, like then you can, the next card you can take off the board, uh, your main board is either a, a 10 or an eight. Um, and you're kind of working your way up the numerical yep, that's system. Solitaire. Okay. All right. Nothing more. Okay. All right. I wasn't sure if there were like, more, I'm sure there are very, like every card game, there are a billion variations on it. that can give you different rule sets, but that is essentially what is, what is happening here. And to make it more stressful, it's like, there's a timer, right? Like, so you have a meter going down at the bottom to try and force you to go through it faster. If you goof up, uh, like if you do the math incorrectly or observe it incorrectly, uh, you know, you, and you click a card that isn't actually one that you can pick up, then that like impacts the stamina of, of your horse. And so it's really just a bunch of rapid fire solitaire against this like pretty basic, uh, horse racing sim. Like the, the couple of decisions you make in between, uh, rounds of solitaire are like, where is the horse on the track? You know, if, uh, depending on if it's like tight against the, the turn, if it is like wider against the turn that determines, uh, not only, uh, the difficulty of the, the hand like so you can choose like do I want an easy hand a medium hand uh, or a, a hard hand uh, and that will the harder hands you're playing the bigger bonuses you can get but also you're increasing your likelihood that you're not going to be able to clear the board um, and if you don't clear the board then you may not get the bonuses you may not get um, the other things that come out of that and uh, yeah I'm not good I'm not good at I keep cheating is what I'll say and by cheating I mean um so you can't pause the game while you're uh, while you're playing, and there's that countdown going, and I don't like that countdown. It stresses me out. Uh, it means I do poor, I do much worse. And if you just like pull down the top of your display on an iPad or an iPhone, you like bring up like you know some of the UI stuff, and the game goes into a pause state because the application has gone into a pause state. And I may or may not be generously checking to see like 
maybe I should see what my notifications are just like by half an inch so that I can study the study all of these cards that are in front of me. Because a lot of it is just like I'm not doing well with the pattern recognition like fast enough for the game uh, for me to succeed in, in the game. You can get like different items that will like in, make that a little bit easier. Like, for example, um, uh, like what what will happen is like when you when there's nothing to play on the board, you can go to like. Uh, you have a deck of cards that you then flip over and like that determines the next card that you can play. Well, you know, just like in any card game, like it may not be the first one you flip over. Maybe it's four cards underneath that. Um, and there's like an upgrade item that will like fl- it'll flick you right towards the one that you can use next. So if like for some reason there's five cards that do not apply to what's in front of you, it'll just skip you right to that. So you can play that a little faster. The thing I'm struggling with is I uh, you have to plan ahead and like. Think about like what are what how am I going to take advantage of like this eight, nine, seven, and I'm just not doing that over and over. I'm just not doing that. But it's so well made and so much fun and like the like spectacle of it is so satisfying that even though I'm complete dog shit at it and do not appear to be materially making progress in terms of being better at it, it's such a delight to play that I just keep cheating and, and playing more of it. Uh Patrick, can I ask you a very important question? Yeah. How are these horse names? Mm. Um, what is the name of my horse? Oh, wow. I forgot. I should have set up the... While I'm looking this up uh, so I can keep talking, uh, I, I, I really should have importantly set up the premise of this game. Yeah, so that's got, the first time I was hearing of horses. I pulled up a screenshot and it's like, this is in solitaire. Uh, you, um, you die in this game to start. Um, you are a jockey who is riding a, a horse, you go behind a horse, the horse kicks you in the face, and you fucking die. Well, yeah, And you go to happen. heaven, and then, like, are told by someone in the pearly gates, like, you know, you can go back down if you uh, achieve your dream. And, like, your character explains what their dream is, and it is not to become an excellent jockey, but they force you down there anyway, and, like, that, like, you go back down to earth after you, after a horse kicked you in the face, and you go to become the best dang card jockey that, that ever was. Uh, That's a good Blingin' bet. Kid is the name of my horse. Blingin' um, Kid? Blingin' Kid. You get a, you get a couple That's of a good, horse options horse to start. Ooh, let me just get my uh, daily login bonus. Yeah, thank you very please. much. Um, and, uh... Oh, thank God, Patrick. I know. Um, <laughs> I haven't gotten to this point in the game, but, like, as you are progressing through, like, it has kind of like a, you know, like in a roguelike, like, sort of like you're going from one node on a map to the other. Um, you're not choosing. Like, that is determined based on wins or loss. So, like, if you win a race, if you lose a race, uh, or if you don't place a certain amount, um, that just kind of changes where you go uh, on that map. But as you go along, like, the horses get older then like you can acquire different like breeds of horses like the maturity of them changes like certain stat elements um there's like also kind of a broader meta layer that's happening in individual races where like let's say you don't think you're going to do well in the race but you're really close to like upgrading a skill um it's like there are icons on the map uh that you can collect or try to collect um as your horse works its way around that uh okay well maybe i'm not going to get first place here but i can unlock a new skill that might help me another time like one of the the, the skills that um that my uh, blinging kid has is Thank um you. what is it it's i forget what the actual skill is called but basically like broadly it means like you get bonus points if you are like 
huddled up in the middle of a bunch of horses. And like there are different versions of that where like if you're ahead of like the horses you're racing, like if they're right behind you, you get a bonus. Another one is like if you're you know directly behind, you'll get a bonus. Mine is like you want to be kind of middle of the pack and then you're getting like increased points that you can spend on like your broader like speed and acceleration and like you're kind of managing a lot of those meters as you go through. But the problem I'm running into is like to in order to uh, really do well, you need to be clearing the board and I'm just not clearing it consistently enough to like get those bonuses. So then I end up not doing particularly well um, at like the home stretches of races, but it's really excellently made. I'm going to keep banging my head again. I'm going to become a solitaire expert um, one way or another, uh, however uh, much cheating I might need to accomplish that task. But uh, it's it's really well made. Card Jockey is, I've heard for years that it was extremely good. I never played it on the 3DS, but uh, if you have an Apple device and you know want to sign up for Apple Arcade, it's it is well worth it is well worth checking out. That looks really really cool, um, and the horses look look very cute. Uh, yeah, all right. Cute. So it looks like we did not get to this one uh, while I was out, but it's uh, more stories about people being evil in computer lab. Uh, nice. This involves a Patrick. Does this ring a bell, uh, Patrick? Or let me look. Uh... I think you had marked it for an episode, but I don't think it... Like it, No, we okay. didn't do this one. We did a different one. The recent... Hi, Waypoint, hi there, Waypoint crew. First time, long time. The recent story about flipping the Windows XP monitors in a high school computer lab reminded me both of my own unexciting story about the same thing, as well as a much better story from college. I was an engineering student taking one of the necessary math classes for freshmen, which included a once-a-week computer lab to use the math software Maple to hopefully help us learn abstract topics more easily. The room was maybe uh, two dozen or so iMacs, each with their own machine name and password written very clearly underneath the screen. Uh, I had that class with a few friends and sat behind one whose name happened to be Patrick. One day I had a realization. These are Macs, and under the hood, Macs run a modern version of Unix. That meant I had access to the command line and its subsequent fuckery. I fired up the terminal and remote connected to Patrick's Mac. I couldn't do a huge amount, and you don't have access to the mouse after all, but what I could do was make empty files directly on the desktop. So as Patrick worked oh. on whatever the day's project was, little files would appear on his desktop, visible on the corner of the screen with names like, Hello, Patrick. And I've become self-aware, Patrick. Each time I made one, he'd look around the room. But of course, I was just studiously typing away. I don't recall him ever saying anything about it and definitely never told him about it. We fell out of touch in the way that people do. But I still sometimes wonder if he ever tells the story about the time his math lab iMac gained sentience. Thanks for all you do. Fuck capitalism. Fuck fascism. And trans rights forever. Alyssa, Washington, D.C. <laughs> Shout out, Alyssa. I just want to know what's going through uh, other Patrick's mind. Like, do you, do you feel like you did something wrong? Like, why wouldn't you tell anyone what's going on? That's, that's tremendous. To protect the computer. That's sapient, Patrick. Mm, that's, mm, well, it's an act of kindness to your I friend, true. the mm-hmm. iMac. <laughs> that's extremely good. I like that a lot. It's really good. We have a good question here from Waz. Dear Waypoint, you wake up and look at the clock and see it's 5.16 a.m. You need to wake up by 7 a.m. Do you get up now or try to get back to sleep? Regards, Waz. Crunch time. I get up. I go to sleep. I get up. So my one, 
I love early mornings. They're hard to get up for, but I do love early mornings. So if I have been cursed to not get a full night's sleep and a good night's sleep, I will take the gift that is offered of like a 5 a.m. wake up and just get that little jump start on the day. Now, one of my absolute favorite things to do on those types of days is uh, there's a nice donut place. Uh, it's not in my neighborhood. It's like a 15-minute drive away, but the streets are empty uh, at that time of morning. They open at 4.30. And so if I have just ended up awake before 6, frequently I'll be like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to hop in the car and go get some breakfast donuts uh, and have just a festive, like, chill little morning. And so that's kind of a, a ritual I've got for those mornings where, like, there's a, that, that, that touch of insomnia. But just in general, it's like, if I'm, like, half asleep, if I'm like, uh, like, one eye open, I can see the clock, but I know I can just fall right back asleep, okay, I'll probably stay in bed. Well, but, so that was, that was going to be one of my follow-ups was, like, what, you know, what is the, are you going to spend 45 minutes going back to sleep right. to then... You know what I mean? Like that's like and those you can tell sometimes, sometimes you when know. you wake up. Like how do I how do I feel? Like yeah. can I just the Sandman drift has right departed. back to sleep? Yes, you know, like that'll happen with me when if like you know my kids get disrupted at some like early part of the morning. It's like can I solve this problem without waking myself up that much and then go back to sleep? And sometimes you can, and then other times you can't. Um, that's it. I am blessed that like I. I'm not I can't nap particularly well, but I can go back to sleep pretty effectively. So most times if I could get an extra hour, like I, I can get that extra hour and we'll and we'll seize it. Um, but I certainly am sympathetic if you're the kind of person like this is my wife. Like she when she is disturbed up, she is disturbed up. There is no just slinking back to sleep. And so um, that's why it always drives me up a wall that my 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 dog can in her old age just I spend most of my time sneaking into the room, desperately hoping she won't bark at me. I will, like, hide under... I will, like, solid snake my way down to the floor to sneak around the bed to get into my side, go up with a blanket or a pillow, and throw it on the dog in the hopes that I can then slink my way into the bed without being observed. Because if I am observed... And then she will in wake up. In my head, it sounds like and I was smothering your dog. But... No, you just blocked just me a blanket. line of sight? Just All right. Line of sight. She's only got one eye. Uh, the other eye is whoosh, into the gray like, zone. Can't really see like, anything out of that one. Like a Skyrim bucket. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. Skyrim bucketing your dog. Yeah. Well, look, it's, I'm just trying to protect. I'm just doing what's best for, for my can't sleep well wife. And I got a dog that makes, makes that an adventure every time I go to bed. <laughs> I, am, I am a tremendously easy person to wake up. When I uh, take my medication for the sleep disorder that I have, otherwise, all bets are off. All like truly, anything could happen. Anything could happen. Um. Generally, though, like if I'm with another person, right? If I'm sleeping in the same bed as someone, I am very easy to wake up. Uh, in terms of just like once I'm uh, once I open my eyes, I'm like I'm good to go. I can start my day. Um. And that is um. That is that is to me a gift because I like I like to be the person who's like, oh, let me go feed the cat. I think that's cute. Yeah, like getting like stealing a march on the day is is always nice. And there's a lot of nice things you can do. Uh, All right. This last one will close out here. Josh, New Orleans. You didn't have to tell us this, but you did. So we're going to read it. 
this is about a someone winning a video game competition. Patrick, does this ring a bell? Or this feels like a story that would have tickled you. Um, the is this, is this the one of is this uh, winning a PlayStation controller? Yes. Yeah, we did. Oh that one. man, shit! All right, then. Uh, that's, yeah, it was truly brutal. That's the end. Of that. I couldn't believe. I was like, I was staring at this. Is like you're just telling the world that you did this, Josh, <laughs> and then you <laughs> yeah. sent pictures of like the adorable yes. little tykes that you were just like stomping on. The detail Incredible. about the kid being like, my PlayStation controller's broken, so I hope I get a new one. <laughs> just grind, the assumption like, of, oh, he's just some rich fuck. Like, screw this kid. It's incredible. Uh, so yeah, I just uh, I just want to register my approval and delight. Uh, mm-hmm. In that in that email, look, you got to teach the kids. Like this Learn, is yeah. it's a, it's a hard world out there, and uh, mm-hmm. sometimes you got to be prepared to play this man's game, <laughs> even if it was a competition for children. Apparently, <laughs> look, then you should have had a, an age cap. Could have been solved. Yeah, that's true. They you chose know, that's not on, to. That's on the organizers there for it sure. That, it's like you can't be a no grown ass person. Uh, coming in here to do this, these children. But but there you go. Uh, all right, that is a wrap on today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, uh, Facebook and YouTube, Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Patrick, where can people follow you? At Patrick Klubick. Ren. At Ren or Raven. You can also go check out what we publish on waypoint.vice.com. This week you can check out Patrick's... Uh, post-mortem on the most shocking death in God of War Ragnarok. Uh, and thanks to Waypoint Plus, we've been able to have a bunch of fun streams lately. Kado played a ton of the new raid in Destiny. Every time I tuned in, uh, they were falling to their death and would appear to be the same place, but I'm sure things improved from there. Uh, and last <laughs> week, Patrick and I had our final Dead Space stream and then decided our final Dead Space stream would happen later because we were having <laughs> so much fun, we're just going to beat this game at some point. Speaking of that same ethos, uh, uh, this week, Natalie and I are going to return to Citadel Station in preparation for the release of the new System Shock uh, re- remake. And Do we then, think that's still coming out this month, though? I know they keep saying that, but we're running out of there's time. A and lack I heard about- of, there's a lack of specific date information on that store page, and there's been an ominous silence. So They just said March, and so we had talked about, like, All right, okay, Rob, you and Natalie need to revisit this. We'll tie it to the remakes. We're swiftly dates. running out of March. They are swiftly running out of March, and usually at this point, I've at least heard like, "Hey, like review code some codes? requests yep. are open." No, yep, nothing, nothing. So, <laughs> nothing. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, out. so we're we're going to uh, re- return to Citadel, and then Patrick has threatened me with a Roblox time. Uh, so yeah. that's that's going to happen oh, as well. Our Waypoint Plus listeners already got to hear us discuss the lighthouse, but this week that episode of My Turn will drop on our public feed. And this week, Patrick and I will be recording an episode of Sports, hopefully featuring a special guest. I am also going to tell everyone about the Bulls' fever that is sweeping the nation. Oh my God. Uh, Play play in tournament bound, and who knows where they'll go from there. Uh, But we'll discuss some other stuff Mm -hmm. uh, in the world of sports as well. If that sounds good, or if you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. And if you want to show not just support, but zeal, go to waypointgeneralstore.com and buy some of our fine Waypoint merch. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zones. B-O-E-N. This episode was produced by Michael Hermes as Kato is on break. For now, we're calling time on this Tuesday. We'll talk to you again on Friday. Till then, fuck capitalism. Go home.